dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Today, talking about character-based leadership has become something fashionable. Books, podcasts, seminars, all focus in on the term virtue. By so doing, we feel like we have checked off our Christian box in leadership and that we can safely move on. But the issue is actually much more explosive. Character influences leadership in ways that are profound and fruitful. The question is, why? In this first of a six-part series, I'd like to look at the question more deeply. Welcome, everybody, to the seminar. Uh, Welcome to the St. John Leadership Network, where we exist to bring business to faith and faith to business. But today, I want to talk about something that's much broader than just business. And all of you who lead your families have to listen just as deeply and apply this just as much to your families as what you do in your businesses, as is the case, by the way, with almost all that we talk about here. Uh, so, so many people want to say that business leadership is about business and they don't understand the whole principle of what leadership is. Leadership is an action that flows from a leader and leaders are leaders everywhere they go. They might not have the position of power that allows them to exert their leadership effectively in a given circumstance, but a position of power and the nature of a leader are not the same thing. You can be a leader who is asked to follow in a given circumstance or in a given situation, and that's just fine. But you're always a leader, meaning leadership is something that's deep down inside of you, regardless of whether or not you put it out into the world. This is important because recently I was having a conversation with a a very wonderful priest and he was asking me what I do. And I said, you know, I focus in on leadership and he he rolled his eyes and I said, well, what's the matter, Father? And he says, well, you know, I just have this question today. Everybody's talking about leadership, leadership, this leadership, that. My simple question is, will there be any more followers? (laughs) He was making the case for let's make a followers academy because in the end, to his point, we're all supposed to be following Jesus. So why don't we st- study followers- followership? <laughs> and I, it was an interesting point, right? Because in the end, he's saying something very profound there, which is, hey, let's not forget the little way. A lot of people will tell me that. They'll say, Father, you know, there are great things for Christ is a wonderful motto. But then again, it's in the little things that really it matters. And I mean, who could argue with that, right? Of course, that that's, that's absolutely true. I guess I just don't think there's anything little about the little things. In the end, I think a mother who does the laundry every single day that it needs to be done and folds these clothes that she knows, it's almost like you fold the clothes for your sake, right? Because the kids kids really are not into folding clothes. So why do mothers fold? And they fold them well and they press them down. They make them nice and clean. Why are you doing that? I mean, that's a great thing. 
It's a hard thing to every day have to focus in on that, to not let your household tasks get out of control, to mentor and help a person to grow through the emotional disturbances of a 13-year-old which are not fun. They last an entire year until they're 14. <laughs> and then it's another craziness. And you, don't, you, you spend five, six difficult years with kids who are pushing back. There is nothing little about that. So I get it that it's little in the eyes of the world and that therefore we do it with great love. And I don't put that down at all. I just want to challenge you, I guess, to recognize the need, the challenge that that presents to you, what that calls upon in a human individual because if you really do the little things with great love, you will become a great saint, right? So daring great things means literally daring to be that great saint by going through the little things and doing them with a great love. But just don't take your eyes off of the prize of how hard that is, the gap that that sin causes inside of us that needs to be filled with Jesus. Right? And so that's where leadership, that's where we focus in on leadership. So please don't make these seminars that I'm giving you into things that you, you say, this is just for my company and for my business workplace. It's not. And here's why. Because what you do at business is practice for what you do at home. Your real life is what you do with your family. But what you do at business is practice for that. And so if I can take in through the demands of the workplace, I look at that as an educational environment in which someone is formed to be a great mom or dad or great brother or sister or great aunt and uncle or great son or daughter, right? The greatness of you, it's, you spend eight to 10 hours in that workplace environment. And so it's right, I enter by there. But the content of what it means to be a leader is not exhausted by the context of the working environment. It just begins there. And that's why we talk about character-based leadership. So we want to do a whole seminar here now. I'm going to do a six-part series with you on, on when character counts, how, how character actually shapes the workplace environment. And the reason I want to say how is because it just seems like I read book after book after book that says we need to be virtuous and we need to have character, but then they don't really explain where it makes that impact, right? And I want to get into that with you because I want to show why character counts. Because if I can show why character counts, I think it's a much more interesting or valuable proposition to why then you need to build virtues and why we need to inculcate spiritual, spirituality into our leadership formation of our young people, even in public schools, so that we can really understand that the human person is much more than a machine to be dominated in order to produce things for the world. Right? I am not at the service of my business. My business is at the service of me. Right? The whole different way of looking at it. Because if I'm at the service of my business, then the business is bigger than me, greater than me, and I need to develop myself so that I can make my business hum. That's not the only part of the message. Of course, there's a part that's true about that. But listen, that's a, sm a small part is true about it. The bigger perspective is actually that everything that I do at my business is there in order to make me a better person. If I am not coming out of my workday a better human being, something is wrong in the way that I'm working. Here's a powerful quote to that point by Pope Pius XI. He wrote, It is a scandal when dead matter comes forth from the factory ennobled while men there are corrupted and degraded.
I'll read that again because it's a good one. It is a scandal when dead matter comes forth from the factory ennobled while men there are corrupted and degraded. Right? So he's obviously speaking about you know, child labor, factories back in the day, terrible industry practices, things like that. And of course, that's true. But I want to expand that to even be more profoundly applicable to you, where you are in your white collar jobs and leading your companies or whatever. If you lose the perspective of the greatness of your soul, of the greatness of what it means to truly be human, an intelligent and free agent, dedicated to transforming this world for the authentic good in the image and likeness of God, if you lose sight of that, then your work will consume you. And the evidence that your work is consuming you is the materialism that can predominate in your life. When you think that what you buy online can somehow fill the hole in your family or that what you can provide your kids with will somehow replace your fatherhood or your motherhood, you've made, a, it's a sign that you're making an error in the way that you're approaching your work, right? My work, in other words, ought to make me more peaceful, more contemplative, in the sense of more satisfied with where I am in my life and, and understanding what life is all about. Now, I think if I took a, a survey right now, we'd be at a pretty low amount of you who actually feel that way, which is why we're here. I want to help you to understand how to make work humane, how to transform the working environment into something that's genuinely human. And that's where character-based leadership comes to play. This is how you understand its power. Its power is that leadership should be about the leader and your work should be about you. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So a lot has been said these days about character-based leadership, and, and I think it's a wonderful thing. Again, there's a lot of wonderful things out there. I'm not criticizing anything. I just want to add to it. I want to add a message that I'm not hearing, which is how it is that a character of a person actually impacts the, the extent and the depth of the leadership that they give. Most of us have a vision of leadership, which is a bit truncated. It's focused on producing, getting people to do things that you need them to do or getting them to do things that they want to do or whatever, getting people to do things. And that's the context, I agree, of especially a, a, a business leadership model, right? Just like some parents will judge their ability to parent based upon the discipline of the kids, right? Do the kids do what we say that to do? Are they nice and in control, right? And you could say that's a great way. Great parenting leadership in the household is when the house is clean, the kids are above average, you know, and everything in life is just wonderful and they're talented and well-behaved. They must be amazing leaders in the family. And it's just like you can't deny that there's something about that that's true. And you can't, you can't deny either that in the workplace environment, your leadership context is one of getting people to do what needs to be done and organizing their labor in a way that's successful and, and good. I just want you to expand your vision and ask, is that all that's necessary? Because in a world where we define leadership 
according to its, uh, the efficiency of the production that comes from it. So our restaurant is opened on time. The tables are cleaned. The kids smile at the, the, the clients or the customers that come in, the guests of the restaurant. The food is served hot. I mean, this, you could say, man, what an amazing manager. This person does an amazing job. And I would say, yes, you're absolutely right. I just wonder if there's not more to it. First of all, because if, you, if the job is simply that, if all we need from a leader is to do something that in the end a robot could eventually be trained to do, you put some artificial intelligence in there and you put the capacity to, you know, a computer system could manage the timing of the tables and could manage the input of the orders and you wouldn't even need a manager. Your people could just come in and simply, you know, uh, obey the computer. You could outsource your cleaning of the restaurant. You could even maybe outsource your cooking. And then in the end, you, your restaurant could turn without even a manager. What happens to leadership in a world like that? Well, what, is that what does that tell you about what, how you view the role of a manager? If a computer could do it, and if a, if a robot could do it, then you're only touching a very small portion of the greatness of the human being whom you are hiring in order to do that job. And I get it that work can't touch every level of greatness in the human being, but we'd like for work to touch as much of the greatness as possible. The more that a person is engaged and is perfected by what they do every day, the more that they're going to be committed to that workplace environment and the happier they're going to be and the happier you're going to be as well. Because if your people leave work happy, feeling like they've grown as human beings, well, I mean, isn't that the purpose anyway? Isn't that why you got them there to do just that? Of course it is. So you're going to be happier. They're going to be happier. The world's going to be better. And we know that every one of our people that we manage and that, that we're responsible for, for eight to 10 hours, eight to 12 hours a day is going to go home and be with their kids. And I, what would happen if you looked at what you did every day as you led your people as a place where you're able to form to educate, to build up, to heal the mothers and fathers of 100, 200, 3,000, 4,000 kids. Because if every person that you touch and every person that you're responsible for on your team, every one of your colleagues, if you always keep in mind that that person is going to go home from this day and they're going to bring how they feel about themselves at the center of how they're going to treat their kids, well, it can properly motivate you to say, I cannot simply reduce my managers to anything that robots can do. I am not, I have not been sent by Christ into this position of power to leave this position neutral or to do my duty in a mediocre fashion, which simply says, I've just got to take care of a basic element of who my people are. I'm responsible for something even more. And what is that even more? Well, if you're looking at their, your productive environment from a purely, uh, a role of pure efficiency, well, there is a lot that's required. There's discipline. There's a sense of ownership. There's a sense of responsibility, all of which come from the character of the people, which is why it's a promotion to go from entry-level work into management. It's the company saying, we actually feel like you are a good enough person as a human being to be entrusted with the care of accomplishing more than just your task. 
Now, it's saying nothing about entry-level workers who are, of course, absolutely amazing at their task and they can stay there. But to be a good worker, usually in companies, when you got someone who does it really well, you make them a manager. Now, all, you know, it's true that that's a whole different skill set, but that's a whole different topic. I mean, what we're trying to say is that when you become a manager, it's because you have a certain amount of character that the company can trust. So I know that if I'm a teacher and they suddenly make me the department chair, well, now my school is saying to me, we like you, we approve of you, not just as a teacher, but as someone who's able to be responsible for other teachers. Now, here's the question. What would happen if we looked at our people from a bigger level, a broader vision for work than pure productivity, pure delivery of services and goods? What if we looked at it from a more human perspective and we looked at it as the goods that we deliver and the impact that that makes on the human life and we allowed our managers to be responsible for that whole package? I'm thinking, for example, of some doctors that I know who are very discouraged because being basically run by the insurance companies, they can't see a patient for longer than 12 minutes, right? Or on average, nine minutes, nine minutes per patient, in and out, in and out. And so it makes them feel that they are, are not really making the impact that motivated them to become doctors to begin with. It's a real problem. It's also a problem for the patients because the patients end up being dissatisfied because they want to talk to a doctor about their health. The doctor is dissatisfied because he actually or she actually really wants to talk to the patients, right? And, and the only people that seem to be really happy in this world are the economic giants that are manipulating healthcare as a purely economic matter. And I understand that it's economic, but we all know that healthcare could be so much more and that the healthcare could be so much better if it could be more, given more leeway from the economic yoke that it, that it enslaves it or that masters it at present, right? So how, that's an example, a really good example. How can I get into the mind of a doctor that actually they're more than simply a coefficient of the profitability of the insurance company? Well, the way you do that is by the insurance company changing its perspective and saying there's this whole field of medicine has a bigger perspective and has a much more important goal. And we are responsible for making sure that medicine hits the fullness of its goal and allows a doctor to give a deeper aspect of themselves, right? So now it's a win-win situation, which is the way it's supposed to be. But what creeps into this is a vision of leadership that is at the service only of the eco economic factors or economic gains of those whom the leaders work for. And that's the problem. The beauty, the beauty of Christianity, the beauty of the vision of what Christ gives us for work is that it opens the possibilities of every one of us to give the greatness of our human person and to put it at the service of what we do. And work is transformed when the workers are transformed. And our, and our task as managers is to transform them to the, in the best way that we can. How do we do that? Ah, that's where the Christian genius comes in. And this is what I want to talk with you about here. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. 
So the question really is, where is it that my character, how is it that my character, who I am, actually impacts what I do? When and where and how and to what extent? A lot of people would say it doesn't, especially if you get into a more worldly environment, they would say, just get the job done, right? But I would say that that's naive, that actually they're, they're incorrect and anyone with common sense can know and anyone with experience as an employer knows that who that person is will influence the work that they do, the quality of it, the timeliness of it, the efficiency of it, everything. And then if you hire in somebody who is deeply flawed as a human being, your work environment is now working in collaboration with people who are deeply flawed as human beings. So, it, 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 and that's fine, of course, that's our human nature, but then again, it's not fine. It's not fine for everybody else who has to deal with this person whose character is rotten to the core. It, it, this, it, it's, a, it's a lack of lucidity on the part of every single one of us to say that character-based leadership is fluff. It's a lack of realism. If you had saints working for you, who really, I mean, you, you would be the, the happiest of all employers. Imagine if Jesus Christ were to come and ask you for a job at your company. Would you hire him? I think that you would. And, and that's the whole idea. Good people will work well. I don't mean just sappy people. I don't mean emotionally balanced people. I mean people who are dedicated to owning what they do. They have a character that is forged around the values that are needed in a place of productivity. And here, you can double that in terms of the family. I mean, you date a person for four years, three years before you marry them because you're testing out what kind of person they are. Not just whether or not you love them or not whether or not you're infatuated with them, but who are they? Are they capable of being a good mother? Are they capable of being a good father? If you're not testing there at that type of thing, it's not just your compatibility that's going to carry you through. In other words, there's also how pleasant your journey is going to be. <laughs> you might love a person, but every one of their inadequacies is going to show and you're going to have to pay the price for it. And so you're willing to do that. That's called marriage. It's a joyful vision of life. But the realism is the same when it comes to the workplace. I need, in other words, to understand that the character of my people will largely determine the level of my success as a corporation. And not, that's just from a purely efficient standpoint. I want to make it even more than that and to say from a vision of what, why I am there in the first place, if I can adopt a vision of this is part of the purpose of my life to be at work, then my work will make more sense to me and I'll be happier. Well, what does it mean to adopt the vision that this work, this job is a part of the purpose of my life, except to say, I'm making the world better by what I do and by being there and, and by my collaboration and my workplace environment, my attitude, I'm actually pushing things forward that matter. And, and I'm transforming the people underneath me, for example, in a positive way. I just, I talked recently with a, a, a woman who's uh, in charge of a whole team of people at a manufacturing plant. And it, it got, it got very hot uh, recently. And she was said that, you know, it's 95 degrees outside with 80% humidity and there's no air conditioning on the floor. 
And so my people are there laboring. We pay them. They understood this, right? They could just, we could say, you just need to labor your way through. But she said, you know, I thought a lot about what I've learned at the St. John Leadership Network. And, and I said, well, how can I apply this? And so she got the idea to go get ice cream. Well, not only did she go get ice cream for the people, which was already amazing, but then she goes and she finds ice cream truck music that she puts from the radio and she follows behind <laughs> the ice cream playing from a loudspeaker or from her phone, the, the ice cream truck music and everybody's laughing, everybody's smiling. And she transformed what could be a very degrading and difficult situation into something that gave life as people found each other by finding her and her leadership there gave them permission to smile and also be appreciated for the great thing that they were doing in the midst of hard and heavy labors to be reminded of humanity. That's a great manager. That's a great leader. And all it took was from her was that ability and that freedom of spirit to be able to say, let's inject some humanity here, right? It's almost like if you're a farmer and you could just, you could raise this farm. But something that cracks me up about farmers is some of them have these things like a funny farm, they'll call it, right? Where strange animals just wander around, you know, peacocks and all kinds of crazy things. There's a, a, an element of, of humanity and of life and of, of joy that you can bring into what you do. Why? Because character counts. Character counts for as much as productivity because character is at the source of productivity. I think, well, sometimes we talk about ethics and business from a very sterile position point. Well, yeah, well, ethics and business means that you do what is right. And I'm like, yes, 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 it does that. But it's much more than that at the same time. It means that you align what you do to the bigger trajectory of your life. You put your who behind your what at the service of a why. And your faith gives you a why and a faith gives you a who. You have to come up with the what. But don't do a what that's not something that enhances your who because it's out of alignment with your why. Now, if you're not confused by that, I don't know what will confuse you, but I think it's at the same time really profound that the Catholic Church says who you are is a spiritual person with intellect and will and ability to lift up the world around you and improve everything at the service of the Most High God. And, and wh why would you do that? You would do that at His service, out of love for Him, and out of genuine concern for the authentic advancement of all humanity. Well, then what are you going to do? I'm going to go to that workplace environment, not forgetting my who or my why. And therefore, I need to be engaged and my character counts dare great things for christ share your feedback with father nathan send us an email at info at st that's info at st and don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.